Stand to your feet. We're going to start in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Start in verse 19. Say amen if you're ready. All right. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus, he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenist. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Father, we thank you this morning. God, we, we pray that this conversation about generosity, Lord, would permeate our hearts, all that we've, all that we've discussed, Lord. God, that we just be more generous people like Jesus. So we ask that this week would be like other weeks we've had, Lord, you'd bring to our attention areas that we could bless other people. Things that we have that we could give to others. Help us this week to put others before ourselves just the way Jesus did. And we thank you for it. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So I like doing the little backstory because it's important to know the context of what you read. And, and you have to understand where somebody's coming from to know where they're going or how they're going to get there. And Saul is no different. Saul is the same person that we refer to as the apostle Paul, who is responsible for writing two thirds of the new Testament. He didn't start out as the apostle Paul. He started out as a man, a Pharisee named Saul And he was a really good one. And he was, uh, after the death and resurrection of Christ, he had made it his life goal to persecute people that followed uh, the name of Christ. And so he had gotten orders from the rulers at that, the Jewish rulers at that time, to be able to go to Damascus and persecute Christians, round them up, incarcerate them, and then bring them back and persecute them. On his way to Damascus, uh, he is struck by a bright light. It's actually Jesus himself. And Jesus has a conversation with him. He says, why do you persecute me? And he says, first of all, I don't even know your name. And he has an encounter with Christ there on the road to Damascus that transforms his whole life. He's blinded. And he's given instructions. And by the way, all of his friends are freaked out by it too. It's impossible for you to have a life transforming experience and not an impact your friends. 
That's another sermon. But he is blinded and he continues on to Damascus. What Saul at that time doesn't realize is there's a man in Damascus named Ananias that the Lord comes to in a vision and says, hey, there's a guy named Saul that's coming. I want you to lay hands on him and pray for him. And Ananias says, whoa, back it up, Lord. That, that's not a cool thing. This guy has been spewing murderous threats all over the place. I've heard about him all the way from Jerusalem, and I don't think this is a good idea. And the Lord said, come on, man. In my mind, that's the way Jesus talks. Sorry. He said, thou shalt lay hands on him hitherto, him arriving. Um, No, he said, come on. This is what you're going to do. They show up at the same house. Ananias lays hands on Saul of Tarsus. The Bible says that something like scales falls from his eyes. I don't know if they were giant cataracts. I don't know what happened. But something falls off his eyes. He's immediately able to see. The Bible says he's filled with the Holy Spirit and they baptize him in water. (laughs) That's an experience right there. Could you imagine on your way to Walmart... To buy cigarettes. Just trying to find a modern day version. And you're met and blinded on the way to Walmart. You don't get into a car accident. But when you get to Walmart, there's somebody you've never met before that says, are you so-and-so? And you say yes. And they lay hands on you. And you completely give up your nicotine addiction. And <laughs> be transforming. The problem is your conversion doesn't outrun your reputation. And Saul runs headlong into this in Damascus. He starts preaching Jesus, but people are still a little nervous about it. But what happens, he goes into the synagogue and starts preaching to the Jews, the very Jews that believed what he believed before he was converted. He starts convincing them that Jesus is the Christ. And he starts gaining in power, they say. Gaining followers. The problem is, is that it gets to a tipping point and they want to kill him. Now the Bible says after many days, it was actually about three years. So imagine him being converted, staying in Damascus about three years and preaching consistently in the synagogue. Like like coming to church, preaching over and over and over again. All these convincing proofs that Jesus is the Christ. And it infuriates the Jews to the point where they want to kill him. Aren't you glad we live the way, where we live now? That the sign of your ministry working isn't that people want to kill you. Hey, how's your church doing? Everybody wants to kill me, man. It couldn't be better. <laughs> Some are like, keep preaching, preacher. We'll find out. So now they want to kill him. He finds out about the plot. It says they had put people by the gates to watch day and night to make sure he didn't get out of the city. So, the, so his associates devise a plan where they're going to let him out of a hole in the wall down by a basket. Isn't it ironic? Moses is put into a basket to save his life. And the apostle Paul, who had been at the top of his game as a, as a teacher of the law, at the top of his game, is now experiencing the same salvation. They put him in a basket, and instead of dropping him into the water, they drop him down by a rope. Now he's got a two-week journey 
back to Jerusalem. About 150 miles, he's going to walk two weeks. And you can imagine the thoughts that are going through his head at this point in time. Is this the way it's going to be? Come on, if you were him, if I was him, I'd be walking back thinking, if every town I go to, I got to be lowered by a basket, I'm going to find the person with the basket as soon as I get there. You got to start being strategic. I'm making friends with the basket guy. It's got to be devastating. Lord, I, you, you, you did all this miraculous stuff in my life. You, 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 you blinded me and then you healed me and then you filled me with your spirit. You baptized me in water and I've been preaching and it's so convincing. And now they run me out of town. His conversion didn't fix his reputation yet. So three years later, he's walking back into Jerusalem and he does what, what anyone would do. He starts trying to find people that think like him, starts talking to some converts to Christ. Only they remember him three years ago. They remember a guy named Stephen who was a follower of Christ and was stoned to death in front of a lot of people. And they remember seeing Saul of Tarsus standing there, maybe with his arms folded in perfect approval of what was happening. So I wonder if the Jerusalem believers were thinking, oh, wait a second. This is the same Saul who approved of killing Stephen and he went away to a training camp to come back to act like us so he could infiltrate us. Any conspiracy theorists out there? You're like, wait a second, what's happening? Went away for three years, now he comes back, he's trying to act like one of us. We're not going to take it. We're not going to accept it. And he says he has a hard time. He says he have a hard, has a hard time making relationships with, with believers in Christ in Jerusalem. And then comes along a guy named Barnabas. We find out who Barnabas is all the way back in Acts chapter 4. Barnabas, the Bible says, after this early, early church, right after Jesus had died and resurrected and they're figuring stuff out, it says they came together and had everything in common and nobody did without. It was like the early Christian commune. I don't recommend that, but we should be generous to each other. So they, they, they had everything in common And the Bible mentions Barnabas and it says that he sold a piece of land and donated the proceeds to the apostles to make sure everybody was taken care of. Now, if you read Acts chapter four, that's juxtaposition to a a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, not the same guy in Damascus that laid his hands on. It's like John. There's a lot of Johns in the church. So this is a different Ananias. So him and his wife, you get the the, the contrast between Barnabas, who sold his property, gave it all the church, and then Ananias and Sapphira come and lie to the apostles. And they say, hey, we sold this piece of property. Here are all the proceeds. He comes in first. And Peter says, why would you bring the money here and lie about it? Why would you say you're giving everything and not give everything? Why, why would you say that? And it's, the Bible says that he's struck dead right there. Boy, that would change your Sunday morning attendance. His wife comes in and says the same lie. Now this is, this is contrasting who Barnabas was and, and, and who Ananias and Sapphira were. Barnabas sells a piece of land and said, donates all the money. So we find him in Acts chapter 4 in this contrasting situation. And then we jump to Acts chapter 9 and he's still in Jerusalem. 
But now, Saul of Tarsus, who now is going to be called Paul, is in Jerusalem trying to make friends. He's been run out of Damascus, run out, running for his life. Now he's in Jerusalem trying to make friends so he can keep preaching. And nobody wants to accept him. And then enters Barnabas. Barnabas puts his arm around him, walks him over to the apostles and says, hey man, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He preached the last three years in Damascus. Even with threats on his life, he preached in the synagogue. He's he's most, one of the most convincing people for the cause of Christ. I know what it, I know what he was when he left here, but trust me on this. He's not that now. And with Barnabas's reference, the apostles accept Paul, formerly Saul, they accept him. And the Bible then says that he freely moves in and out among them. He gets access that he hasn't, it's like he got a key card. He could get in the building, get out of the building, get in whenever he wants. He moves in and out. So I want to talk to you this morning about being generous with your influence. Generous with your influence. Now you may be sitting here today going, I don't have any influence. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. If you kick the dog, the kids are watching. So do it while they're asleep. That's a joke. I believe in treating all animals the same. (laughs) Influence, the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something or the effect itself. So influence is the capacity to have an effect on the character, development, or behavior of someone or something. Influence is your ability to affect someone else. You may say, I don't have much influence, but you have influence. Maybe you have influence with your boyfriend. Maybe you have influence with your spouse. Maybe you have influence with your kids. My kids have influence on me. When my girls are home, I'll walk out of the bedroom on Sunday morning and they'll say, "Uh, are you going to wear that? And I'll be like, obviously I have it on. I was planning on wearing it. So if you don't like what I'm wearing, say that first. Don't say, are you going to wear that? Because that's a stupid question. So tell me, dad, it doesn't look good. Put something else on. Don't ask me a nonsensical question that doesn't even deserve an answer. Ask me. And so there have been occasions where I go back in and change. Because they know more about fashion than I do. I bought these sneakers on clearance uh, on a date with my wife. That's what we do. We go clearance dating. Um, you got to manage your budget. If you're going to eat a nice meal, you can't buy expensive shoes. At least that's the way we work. You got to balance it out like carbs, like we talked about last week. So what happens is, um, the reason I bought these shoes is because my daughter already told me they were cool. Influence. Not because they fit nice, not because they feel good, but because my 19, almost 19 year old daughter has a pair and said, dad, those are cool shoes. You should get a pair. And so when I walked into Kohl's and saw the sale, I went, (laughs) finally, I'm going to be cool. 
So you have influence over people that you don't even realize. People you work with, people you're related to, people that see you driving down the road, people you have influence. And if you, if you by default have influence, then you actually have something that you can give away. So, so if everybody has influence, if influence is like an asset in a portfolio, then you have the ability to keep it or give it away. It's, it's a thing we have. And everybody in this room has influence with someone. Amen? You have influence with someone. So you have to start asking yourself, what influence do I currently have? Who are the people around me that are watching and listening to what I say and do? I remember realizing for the first time um, that my kids heard what I said. Some of you have had that experience too. So I had to say, hey, that's awesome. Remember, daddy's a preacher. (laughs) Fist bump. You want a cookie? Remember, we don't say everything outside of the house. (laughs) You're four. (laughs) You don't understand the context. That was a joke. I don't say anything bad. We have influence. Okay, so if we have influence, I believe there's two ways to use it. You can use it on yourself, for yourself, or you can use it for other people. Now, don't misunderstand here. I'm not saying that you shouldn't call somebody you know to get a better deal. I'm not saying that. Matter of fact, I encourage it. If you know somebody that knows somebody, you should call somebody. You should call somebody. It's not, I'm not saying don't call a friend when you need something done. I'm not saying don't say, hey, man, uh, can, I, can, I, can you do this for me? Can you like, and, and, and do your little influence thing? I'm not saying don't do that. But I'm saying when it's exclusively how we use it, there may be a generosity problem. So we could use it exclusively for ourselves. Or we could say, you know what? I've got this influence. I could use it on the behalf of someone else. I could use them on the behalf of someone else. So Philippians, the Apostle Paul, remember that's who we're talking about. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. So now I'm not just calling somebody to get a deal for me. I'm calling somebody to get a deal for you. And you're like, whoa, I don't want to burn up all the deals. But Paul's writing, hey, listen, it's not just about you. It's putting others before you. It's the example of Christ. When he writes to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he said, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And then in verse 33 of the same chapter, he says, I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Paul said, I'm going to live a selfless life and I'm going to use my influence to benefit other people, not just myself. So there's two ways we can use it. We can use it to benefit us or we can use it to benefit the people around us. So we need to tip the scales. We need to make a decision and tip the scales and be generous with our influence. Now watch what happens in the scripture we read. 
Paul, who's been, who's had this amazing conversion experience with Jesus. He's went to Damascus. He's preached. He's preached mightily in Damascus to the point where the Jews now want to kill him. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. When he hits Jerusalem, he realizes that nobody will accept him. Nobody wants to be around him. Everybody's thinking you're the same guy. But there's one guy in this story, Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. Isn't that fitting? Barnabas puts his arm around Paul. He said, hey, I'm going I'm to do some introductions. I'm going to introduce you to a few people. So the Bible actually tells us that he met personally with Peter and James in Jerusalem. I think Barnabas took him and went, hey, this is Peter. He's kind of running the show. This is James. He, uh, he says what he thinks. You ever read James? You find that out. He don't play around. Bar, uh, guys, this is Saul of Tarsus. And uh, he had a conversion experience on the way to Damascus. Found out when he was at Damascus, he preached Jesus so boldly that they tried to kill him. Got lowered down in a basket like a chump. And he just got back here. And he wants to preach in Jesus' name. I think we should let him. To which the apostles and the disciples are like, all right, all right. Barnabas could have said, hey guys, I, I'm, I've been doing all this I, I, from the very beginning. I'm, I think, you know, you should pay attention to me and not him. But Barnabas actually takes all the risk here, which we'll get to in a second. He takes all the risk. He puts his arm around Saul, who's, who's preaching has not caught up to his reputation in Jerusalem, who, whose transformation has not caught up to his reputation in Jerusalem. And so Barnabas puts his arm around him and he says, I'm going to vouch for this guy. To which the apostles and the disciples say, okay. And the reason we know they say, okay, is because the very next verse, it says he came in and out of them freely. He, he, he was able to pass in and out of their midst and nobody made us think about it. Everybody was okay with it. And so what happens is one little introduction changes the whole course of history. I want you to think about this. Paul later would later take three missionary journeys and spread the gospel to the whole then known world. And it was one introduction in Jerusalem that gave them the freedom to start that journey. One introduction. He writes two thirds of the New Testament, and who knows what it would have looked like if Barnabas hadn't went. Hey, man, he's a good dude. Give him a break. Don't be afraid. This guy will preach even if his life is is threatened. He is fearless for the gospel. I'll vouch for him. I'll put my name on the line for him. One introduction changes the way the Bible's written. Think about it. So we can spend it on ourselves. Or we can spend it on somebody else. And Barnabas chooses to spend it on Paul. It changed Paul's abilities in Jerusalem. It gave him the ability to do something that in and of himself he couldn't do. When we give influence for someone else, it actually increases their ability. It actually multiplies what they're capable of. Isn't that crazy? Somebody will call me and say, actually, I had it happen this week. 
I had it happen this week. Let me, let me tell you how this goes. I've got a painter friend of mine. And he, and somebody called me this week, said, Hey, is he a good dude? I said, on the weekends, I mean, when I see him at church, I didn't say that. I said, yes, he's really good at what he does. Give me his number. Watch how this works. Now you're capable of doing something that you couldn't have done before because of a reference. Now, I hope his whole whole business is not dependent on my reference. But maybe a portion of it could be. Because without fail, whoever called me looking for a painter, I'm giving them his name. Amen? So Barnabas is generous with his influence towards Paul. And can I say this for a second? Paul had nothing to offer Barnabas. What's Paul going to give Barnabas? See, sometimes we're trying to figure out what we're going to get back before we give influence. Just forget about it. Maybe that person can't give you anything back and that's fine. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't make a phone call. It doesn't mean we shouldn't give a reference. It doesn't mean mean we shouldn't make an introduction because, because we see God doing things in them and it increases their capacity to do more. So now all of a sudden, Paul is moving in and out of the Christians in Jerusalem, preaching in Jerusalem, preaching the name of Jesus. It's an amazing thing that happened. So I want you to think about this. Who could you introduce this week? Who do you know that you could introduce to somebody else this week? Who do you know that you could give a reference for? Who could you make a phone call for? Who could you vouch for? Who could you just say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be for you this week. And I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going I'm to call somebody and let them know that you're, you're great at what you do. And if you're ever looking for somebody like that, you should get them. Just a simple phone call could change the destiny of somebody. Just a simple introduction could change somebody's future. So I know what all of you are thinking now, because we live in a world where references are sketchy. Anybody work in corporate world, you know what I'm talking about. Hey, I'm calling to get a reference for Susie. She put on her application that she worked with you. Yes, she did work with us. Well, what type of employee was she? Uh, she worked for us. Uh, well, when, I mean, was she, was she show up on time? She worked with us from April to May. You can't even get a reference nowadays. People are so afraid to give a reference that it's like just the date. Yeah, they worked here. I mean, were they worth work? Were they worth paying? Like, tell me the scoop on them. Were they great employees, not great employees? Ah, yeah, they worked here. Because every time you give a reference, you know what they call it? Sticking your neck out. You know, it's one of the most vulnerable parts of your body. Your neck. I have a theory. If you're going to stick your neck out, you should just do it for someone else. If you're going to stick your neck out, why don't go out doing it for someone else? Not doing it like Jesus did it. If you're going to stick your neck out, do it for someone else. I want you to see how this impacts. I want you to see how this impacts. If you're going to do a reference, it could change somebody's life. Watch this. 
Barnabas gave a reference for Paul. And then Paul ends up giving references for other people. See how the cycle goes? Paul learned from Barnabas that it was worth sticking your neck out every now and then. Watch this. Paul writes to the Philippians in that same chapter, chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus sent Timothy to you soon so that, I may, so, that, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. But you know Timothy... Timothy's proven worth, how a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. See what Paul did there? He didn't say, I'm sending Timothy to you. He said, you know, I'm sending Timothy to you. And he's like a son to me. There's no, I have no one like him. I have no one like him. He's an amazing guy. Here's what Paul didn't say. Okay. Remember, we have these perfectionist conversations here in church. It's okay. Everybody settle down. The thing Paul didn't say about Timothy was that he was perfect. If you're waiting on people to be perfect to give them a reference, you'll never give a reference. And by the way, you should never get one yourself either. Oh. If you're waiting on people to be perfect, that's not... That's not the litmus test on whether you get a reference or not. So in the back of our minds, we say, oh, he's a good dude. He worked for us for four years, but he was late. Uh, I got to tell him he was late four times. Oof. He has a potential to be late. He was late once a year. I just want to let you know that. Don't want you to get caught off guard. He could show up late once a year. I just want to make sure you understand that he's pretty good. He he worked really hard for four years, but there was those four times where he was late. Just got to warn you. Here's the issue. You know what I know about Timothy? He was young and he was afraid. And Paul never mentions that to the Philippians. Never says it. But I know from Paul writing to Timothy that he had problems of fear because Paul told him, You don't have a spirit of fear. You got a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. You've got a calling that goes all the way back to your grandmother, Timothy. What are you afraid of? Don't despise being young. Don't let anybody talk down to you because you're young. He was dealing with all these issues in Timothy. But when it came time to send Timothy and give him a reference, he never brought him up. Never brought him up. Barnabas never said, Paul has the ability to be pompous at times and a know-it-all. But he's a really good preacher. So if you will overlook the pompousness and know-it-allness of Paul, you should accept him into your ranks. He never mentioned that. He said, this guy preaches even at the threat of death. They'll figure out if he's pompous or not. Paul says, hey, I'm going to send to you Timothy. He didn't mention that he was afraid. He didn't mention that he was young. He just said, you know. He's the best guy I've got. There's nobody like him. There's nobody like him. And then Paul in the same conversation says, he says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger. Uh, So the first service, we like to call him Epap. This guy's little DJ thing on the side. 
thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger minister to my need. For he has been longing for you and all has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He says, you know what? I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you, and he's the man. He doesn't mention anything. He just says, I'm vouching for him. He's not perfect. I'm vouching for him. So at some point in time, we're going to have to stick our neck out for other people and say, hey, listen, everybody already knows people aren't perfect. Some of you just heard it for the first time. You're like, this is devastating. I didn't realize I wasn't perfect. So if you're going to stick your neck out, do it for someone else. A life without risk is no life at all. No one's perfect. There's always a risk when you use your influence for someone else. But here's a problem. We can be unwittingly, become unwittingly selfish, waiting on others to be worth using our influence for. We can be, we can unwittingly become selfish, waiting for others to be worthy of our influence. Well, when they get their act together, I'll give them a reference. Well, when they get out, you know what the problem with that whole thing is the, the Bible says that while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. That if the son of God did not wait until we got it together to go to the cross, maybe we shouldn't be waiting to get it together to help somebody else. Maybe we shouldn't say, Hey man, if you get it together a little bit more, I'd give you that reference. Now, now, just in case you think, hmm, can I just address some concerns you may have? Realistic concerns. So what if I give this person a reference and it goes sideways? What if I give them a reference and something bad happens? What if I give them a reference and they don't turn out? So watch this. Barnabas puts his arm around Paul, walks him over to the apostles and disciples and says, hey, listen, this is Paul, man. He had a conversion experience. He's been preaching, preaching hot and heavy in, in Damascus. They threatened to kill him. And he kept preaching. Lowered the guy out of a basket. And now he's here and he wants to do the same thing. I think we should let him. And everybody goes, yeah. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you, Barnabas. We're going to hold you. It's your reference, man. Thank you for introducing him. And, 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 and Paul grows and influence and, and, and grows in followers and he keeps preaching and preaching and preaching. Here's the problem. Later on, Barnabas and Mar- or Paul have a falling out. Oh, you're like, I thought there was a good end to the story. I thought when you give a reference, it means you were pals forever. Barnabas and Mark take a missionary journey from Antioch together. When, 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 Saul, when Paul leaves Jerusalem, the Bible says that he preaches in Jerusalem. When he leaves Jerusalem, they actually, he gets threatened to be killed in Jerusalem, just like he was in Damascus. The disciples take him and they send him back to his hometown, Tarsus. They said, we need you to hang out down there 
until this thing dies over a little bit. We don't, we don't need anybody else getting killed. We need you to, we need you to leave. You're a great preacher, but it's causing so much, so much of a stink. They want to kill you. We want you to leave, go back home. So it goes back to Tarsus. The, some people leave. He could be there between seven and 10 years. The church in Antioch is blowing up to the point that they send Barnabas to Antioch to go pastor that church. So what does Barnabas do? Barnabas goes over to Tarsus and gets Saul, Paul, the apostle. He remembers him. He goes and grabs him and brings him back to Antioch. And together at Antioch, they co-pastor the church and it blows up. A year later, they commission the both of them to go off onto a missionary journey. Barnabas, who had vouched for Paul, and now Paul is back with them, and they're going on a missionary journey. It's amazing. Great things happen. Great things happen. Great things happen. They come back. It's awesome. They decide to go on a second missionary journey. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I missed something. Barnabas brings a kid with him named John Mark. Barnabas they say might have been, John Mark might have been a nephew. He might have been a cousin. He was related to Barnabas. Barnabas brings him. Look at what Barnabas is doing again. Hey, Paul, I'm bringing this guy with me. He's a good guy. I know he's young, but he's a good guy. I'm going to vouch for him. Barnabas vouches for John Mark. They go on the missionary journey. Halfway through the missionary journey, guess what? John Mark goes, bro, I'm out. I ain't played video games in like six months. Can't be doing this. They don't know why he left. They don't know if he got sick, he got afraid, he got whatever. But he left. Paul was furious about it. So now they get ready to start the second missionary journey out. And Barnabas goes, hey man, I'm going to bring Mark with me again. And Paul goes, no, you're not. That dude ditched us last time and he's not coming. Rewind. Do you remember when Barnabas put his arm around Paul and said, hey man, I vouch for him. Let him preach. Do you remember that? Now what? 13, 14, 15 years later, maybe more than that, Paul is going, I'm not taking him. You know what you don't hear Barnabas say? The only reason where you're at is because of me. I would have said that. I would have said it. I'd have used everything. I'd been like, you shut your mouth. The only reason you're where you're apostle is because of me. You wouldn't get where you wouldn't get anywhere if it wasn't for my. Don't we do that? The Bible records Barnabas saying nothing like that. What does Barnabas do? He puts his arm around John Mark and he says, "Come on, me and you'll go." And Paul takes a guy named Silas and they go, and the gospel goes in two different directions. Because Barnabas didn't freak out because somebody he made a reference for ended up not agreeing with him later on. You see what happens is if we make a reference for someone and then five years later it goes a little sideways, we don't give anybody any more references. But Barnabas just says, eh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Now watch this. Now watch this. Can I speak to another little fear we might have? What if I, what if I give this guy reference? What if I give this lady a reference? What if, what if I help my friend get a job where I work and then they become my boss? Oh no. Oh, that's not happening. 
That's not it. So what we do is we say, hey, you know what? You're charismatic. You're a hard worker. You'd be great at this. But I'm not going to connect you to anybody because I'm afraid you'll be better than me. You'll be better than me at it. So what happens? Inadvertently, we turn right back around to where Paul said, don't go. And we make it about us instead of other people. Do you know why the gospel went forward as fast and as, and as far as it did? It was because of Paul, not Barnabas. And, in, and Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, not Barnabas. So Barnabas introduces a guy, uses his influence a guy, who then eclipses him. What are we afraid of? So what if I introduce somebody and they become better than me? So what if I introduce, so what if, so what if my kid becomes better than me? So what if my neighbor becomes better than me? So what if my, so what if somebody that I said, Hey man, could you call and give them a reference for me? And then they end up being better than you. Thank you, Lord. There's no recording of Barnabas ever sitting back going, well, I blew that one. I had a chance to write two thirds of the new Testament. If I had just not introduced Paul, I would have been the man. There's no recording of that. Even in a disagreement, you don't see Barnabas having anxiety over that introduction. He knew it was the will of God to be generous towards those people. And you know what happened? Even at the end of Paul's life, the generosity of Barnabas was influencing Paul. Because Paul at the end of his life tells him, hey, send me John Mark. He's been really helpful. He's been really helpful. Now you have to juxtaposition that with Paul getting in an argument with Barnabas over him just going with them. And then at the end of his life, he says, send it to me. He's been so helpful. What Paul learned again, hey man, that influence Barnabas had worked. The patience Barnabas had worked. His, his willing to give that influence away worked. And here Paul is benefiting it from it one more time at the end of his life. Can I ask you this morning? Why don't you stand to your feet? I want to ask you these questions. Who is not perfect in your life but needs an introduction to somebody that you know? Who's not perfect in your life but needs your influence? Needs you to, needs you to make a phone call for them? Needs you to, needs you to pull a string for them? Who's, who's not perfect in your life but needs your but needs you to vouch for them. And then if you're afraid of them doing better than you, ask God to teach you how to clap for people when they succeed. The Bible says we rejoice when, with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. Let's just clap. Let's just say, man, it's not about me. It's about everyone else. And I can give this away. This is something I can give away and be generous. Day after day after day, I can give it away freely. It doesn't cost you anything. You won't miss a meal over it. You can just give it away. So can we this week find somebody that could use our influence? This week, find somebody that could that we can make a phone call for or have a conversation. Say, man, I just want to help you out. No strings attached. And let's see what God does through them. Amen. Father, we ask you this morning. Lord, we want to be generous with everything. So we ask you, Lord. Lord, overcome our fears. Overcome our worries about 
about sticking our neck out for other people. And we pray, Lord, that this week, that we'd be able to help somebody with our influence. We'd be able to use it for their benefit. And Lord, we pray we'd be generous and we'd, be, we'd like giving our influence away. We thank you for every opportunity you'll send us this week to do just that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, give him honor and praise one more time. He's... Amen? Hey, listen, give it away this week. We'll see you back here.